This morning, uh, as we mentioned, we are looking at the word justification, and I had like, a different introduction as of Friday, but I kind of changed it because I was, I was thinking, how do the, does the normal person think about the word justification? If you come in here and sit down and say, we're going to speak about justification through God's word this morning, what would the average person think, right? That's kind of what I, I try to start there. And I thought most people probably would think like that's a big word. And it sounds, as I said before, sounds dry, a little bit like booky, you know, like something I'd read in a big, thick book. Um, and the, the reality is, is that there are some words through our uh, series, wonderful words that are larger than others, some that we don't use as much, some that we use all the time. And this is a word justification that is a foundational aspect of our salvation and of our Christian life. We probably don't use it often, but it's significant. And I was thinking that often in our lives, words like this mean the most to us when we have deep issues and deep doubts in our lives, right? Deep hurt, deep pain, um, and maybe even deep doubts about where we are spiritually. We can go back to words like justification because they have a deepness and a depth to them, their meaning and, and just their significance that really help us. So we need deep meaning words for our deep issues in life. And this morning, um, we're really going to start by just defining what justification is. Justification is simply to be declared righteous, right? And so, um, really, really what God does, he declares us righteous. And, and we, in the book that we're kind of use as a platform to this series, written by J.I. Packer, um, he uses this term, and I really liked it. Ju justification is the justifying of the unjust, and a little bit later, we're going to say, we're going to put a little bit more justice in this in a just way or justly. God is able to justify the unjust justly. Okay, we'll get to that a little bit later. But God is able to do that. And we see that in Romans um, 8.33. It says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It's God who declares us righteous. And this is a legal term, right? This is a term that would have been used in a legal context. And again, obviously, um, Paul writing this book here is, is very much knew the laws of the Jewish people. And so really throughout um, all of the New Testament, this word um, used is used mostly in, in Paul's writings. Okay, because obviously this would have been significant to him and to the people that came from um, the Old Testament law and, and following that. And so this was significant to him, but it's God who justifies. It's God who declares us righteous. And we need to start there. We need to remember that it's nothing that we ever could do, right? And we went through those words already. We went through sin and what sin is in our lives. And that's anything I do say or think that goes against who God is and his character. And we do those things all the time. We are not in ourselves just. So how did God do this? What was the plan? How do you take somebody who is unjust and make them just? And I would say that we can't actually do that here on earth, right? I can't take somebody who's broken the law and make them 
someone who followed the law in that way, right? We can't do that. So God had to do something supernatural, something completely different than what man can do. I am unjust because of my sin. I was born in sin and I chose to sin. In both respects, I am a sinner and I can't change that. What Jesus can do, as we're gonna see in the next point, is Jesus lived and died for us. Jesus significantly came to make us just, even though we are naturally unjust. How does he do that? He does that through his substitutionary work on our behalf. Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What Jesus is saying there is, when we talk about we are lawbreakers, we are unjust, it's not, we are not just unjust to like, the laws of the United States, although I'm sure we've broken some of those if you've ever sped, or maybe my latest infraction was I didn't stop all the way at a stop sign, you know, did the little rolling stop. I broke the law. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about really the Old Testament law, the law that God gave his people. And the point of the law was never for man to be able to actually keep the law right? It was a test to show how much we fall short of what God has expected of us. But the only way to reach God and to to have a relationship with this perfect God is to keep his law completely. And so Jesus came not to abolish the law because the law was a good thing. It was, it was a test, or as the New Testament says, it was, it was the schoolkeeper, right? It, It was kind of a teacher for people to show them that And so what Jesus does is he comes not to destroy the law or to take it out. He said, no, you need the law. It's good for you, but I came to fulfill it. And what he's really saying there, I came to fulfill the law for you. You couldn't fulfill the law. You've already broken it. And even let's just say that we could pay all of the past breakings of the law. He's like, but you could never keep it from now on anyway. So Jesus comes, and he is our substitution, and he does both those things. Jesus lives and dies for us, and he keeps the law in both respects. So he keeps the law for us. How? First, he's born under the law in Galatians 4.4. And I'm going to put most of the passages up here, because if you look, there's not a, a passage in the New Testament that we can just go through that just speaks about justification. There's a lot of different teachings all over uh, Paul's writings. And so we're just going to kind of skip around. So I thought I'd put them more up on the screen to make it a little bit easier uh, so you're not having to turn your pages like crazy. But Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus came as a complete 100% human, but he was also 100% God. Why did he do that? Because he was going to live life, and he did. He lived life just like we do. We're going to see later on, he's tempted like we are. He, he lives life like we are. He, he has some of the pain and the hurts that we do. Why was that significant? Because he was a perfect substitute. If Jesus came and lived, lived significantly different than us, would he be a good substitute? No, he needed to live just like this. So he was born under the law. That test, the law, he would put himself under that on purpose. But not only was he born under the law, he perfectly obeyed the law. So Jesus in his life kept the law for us. 
When we could not keep the law, he kept the law. It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is tempted in every way that we are to sin, but he never failed. He kept the law perfectly. So in his perfect life, he substituted for us that we could be called just even though we aren't just ourselves. But God looks at his justice, his following of the law, his following of the test of the law perfectly. And God says, I can look at you if you put your faith in my son Christ as if you kept the law because he kept it for you. And we see there that even in the Old Testament, they had the high priest who was kind of a go-between between man and God. But that high priest was flawed. He never could keep the law himself, right? It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The high priests that they had were like them in some respects, in, in all respects, right? They always sinned. They always had to have um, sacrifices that, for their own sins, so they could never be a substitute. But this perfect high priest, who is our go-between, the perfect go-between between us and God our Father, has never sinned. He is perfect substitute for us. So he lived for us. He followed the law for us, and Jesus is our substitute so that we can be called just, even though we are by nature very unjust. But not only in his life did he keep the law, because there's two aspects to the law. There's one, we have to keep it, but we've already broken the law. And what is the law? The law says that there's a penalty for our sin, right? The consequence of sin is death in Genesis 3.3. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Why? He gives us this consequence, lest you die. Well, if God is going to keep, going to make unjust people just, he has to do it in a just way, right? He can't just say, oh, well, I'm just going to take the consequences away, right? Jesus came, he lived for you, he lived to pay the price or to, to live for um, under the law, and he did it perfectly. He can do that for you, but the penalty that you've already put yourself under, I'm just going to throw that out. Is that a just judge? No. Right? A judge can't just choose to let someone go just because he wants to. Right? He has to have reason. He has to have uh, truth. And so God is just. That's part of his character. So he had to create a way that unjust people could become just justly, right? In a just way. So what did he do? He sent his son. And we see this, that the reality of sin is universal. We'll get right to what Jesus did for us. But the, the reality is that we've all sinned right? The consequence of sin is death, and we are all under that consequence because we've all sinned in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a reality. Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there, where there is no law. And this doesn't mean that the people between Adam and Moses before the law was given, it doesn't mean that, that God didn't count their sin against them. I think what he's saying there is he's saying from a human perspective, the law helps us see how sinful we really are. 
So it's hard for us to count how sinful we are, or account for how sinful we are, without God sharing with us what the expectations are, and that's what the law did. And he says in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. The consequences were still there, even before the law was given, this test was given, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. There may be someone here, and you might say, Dan, like, I, I know I'm not perfect, but I didn't do what Adam and Eve did. God didn't come to me and specifically tell me, like, don't. I highly doubt that, but um, I, I don't know. But what he's saying there is even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What he's saying there is it's all of us. We've all sinned, whether our sin was like Adam or whether it was completely different, we've all sinned and we all have a sinful nature that we struggle with. But Jesus came and in his death, he paid the debt of our sin, fulfilling the law for us. Romans 6.10 says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So in his life, he lived perfectly following the law for us. And in his death, he paid the penalty, which was the consequence that the law gave us because of sin. It set it up for us from the very beginning. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So Jesus brought us this great justification. God planned it from the beginning that he would have this way that man could be at peace with him, that man could be brought together and be, could, could be considered just, although very unjust in our human nature and our sinfulness. But because Jesus as our substitute, God could justly call us righteous. Do we deserve that? No. Is it because we are good in some way? No, we could go through many verses throughout the Bible and show us how undeserving we are. Why does God do that for us? Because God is love. He loves us. It's not because of our character. It's completely because of his character. And so often with justification, it can seem like at times that we just, we end there. Like we end there and we're just like, okay, we're declared righteous and that's it. But if you think about it, if we look at, um, we're going to look at Romans 5. One, it says, therefore, since we have been justified, justified by faith, we've been declared righteous. How? By faith in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And often with justification, that's kind of how we leave it. We say, okay, we're at peace with God. But if you've ever had an argument with somebody and you had to go to them and make peace, right? Often when we make peace with somebody, does that mean that your relationship is good? It's at peace. Like you made it right, you're good. But often like it's just we're at peace, but we still don't have this re a good relationship. But what Jesus does through justification, it says in verse 2 of Romans 5, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through justification, when we are made righteous, it's not just a neutrality with God, like, all right, I, I, I'm no longer guilty before him. But it says that he gives us this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we look that our relationship through justification is more than neutral. And we're going to look at, there's a lot of things we could look at, but we're going to look at three main things that, that God has blessed us with through Jesus and our justification, that we are more than neutral with him and our relationship with him this morning. 
The first one is that Jesus gives us his righteousness. And the illustration I give is, imagine somebody who's in this prison of sin, as we all were before Christ. We're in this prison of sin, and even though our our purpose in life, why we're here, is to be called to bring glory to God by having a close relationship with him. That's what we've all been called to. From the beginning of the creation of humanity, Adam and Eve, what did God want for them? He wanted them to bring him glory like all creation, but there was a significance that he created humanity in his image, which means we are in his image. We can have a special relationship with God that all other creation cannot have. And we see that, and it's kind of implied as we know that Adam and Eve must have walked with God in the garden and, and talked with him, right? They had a special relationship. He didn't do that with other parts of his creation, So imagine, though, that you've been put, now because of our sin, we've been put in this this prison of sin. And we no longer can fulfill our God-given purpose. In fact, we are enemies of God. But he releases us through his justification, declaring us righteous. He releases us from prison, and, and now we've been called again, and we can actually go out and fulfill the purpose that we've been called to, to have a close relationship with him and to bring him glory in this world and share the gospel with others. But when you, when you ever see someone who gets out of prison, most of the time when they come out of prison, they have nothing, right? God doesn't leave us neutral. He doesn't just say, all right, you're released from prison and you have nothing. He blesses with all of his, what we could call all of his graces, all of the riches that we don't deserve. He blesses us with all of these. And the first one here is righteousness. Says in verse seven of Philippians three, but whatever gain I had, says Paul speaking, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he says in verse nine, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Jesus gives us his righteousness So when we are released from that that, uh, prison of sin, called to once again go back to our original calling in life to have a close relationship with God, God doesn't just say, okay, now you're neutral again. He's saying, no, now I've given you Christ's righteousness. And it's not because you fulfilled the law. Jesus gave it to you by his grace. He gave you his righteousness. We, uh, we, We often sing the song, his robes for mine right? He took on our dirty robes, our disgusting robes, covered with sin, and he gave us his robes that are are covered in righteousness, are pure white. And when we have that righteousness, that changes us, right? That's when we can have day-to-day difference in our lives. So often religion will tell you, you have to be good enough to get to Christ, but what the gospel and justification tells us, we are declared righteous in Christ, and because we have his righteousness, now we can actually do righteous things. We can actually live for him because he has made us righteous, because unrighteous people don't do righteous things. Unjust people don't do just things, but people who have been made righteous, who have been given Jesus' righteousness on their account, can now live for him. Not anything we have done, but because of the grace that he has given to us through this great justification. 
The other thing Jesus does through justification, he gives us sonship. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We don't have time to go through what all of this means because the significance of the teachings in those four verses, you could spend hours talking about. The fact that we are sons and daughters in God's family. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer enemies, but he's adopted us into his family. And how did that happen? Nothing we have done, but through Christ as our substitute, making us righteous when we had no righteousness in ourselves. So now we can be called heirs through God. What do heirs get? They get everything, right? Everything the Father has is yours. Right for the in, in, in our world, it's a little different, right? I, I heard one time I heard a comedian who who was very wealthy, and he was talking to another comedian. And he said, "Hey, have your kids ever um, asked you if you're rich?" The comedian goes, "Yeah, they did." And he's like, "Well, what did you tell them?" He said, "Dad, are we rich?" And I said, "Well, I am." <laughs> right? That's not how God works. Right? That's not how God works. God is a good father, a perfect father. And he says, all that I have is yours because you are my sons and my daughters. And we could never earn it. And we could never come to it in our own way. And we could never become just in God's eyes in ourselves because we are completely unjust. But through Jesus, we have become sons and daughters. We have been adopted. And then lastly, Jesus gives us eternal hope. In Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's significant, like, language going on in here, and I don't try to be too technical very often in preaching, but notice all of these are past tense, Right? He called us, that's past tense. He's also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, have any of you in here been glorified yet? Have you been made perfect, completely given a new body, and, and existing with God, your Father? No, nope, none of us have. That's why you're still here on this earth. That is something future, but we talk about it in this passage as if it's already happened. What does that mean? It means that we can have complete confidence that if we have been justified, being made righteous in Christ, we don't have to fear death and we don't have to fear the security of our eternity. We don't have to fear that I can fall away from my Savior because Jesus has paid the price and his substitutionary gift has never changed. You are not saved by how much you sinned in the past or how much you keep the law. You were saved by the grace of God. And Jesus kept the law for you and Jesus paid the penalty of you not keeping the law for you, and that will never change. So we can have eternal hope that those who are justified will be glorified. It is as if it's already finished. 
God doesn't change. God can't be wrong. He can't say something and then, oh no, now I've got to divert from that because it didn't work. That's not God. That's us. We do that all the time, but God is a God who can speak about the future like it's the past because time has no control over him. So this morning, one of the reasons I said this is a deep truth that can help us in deep doubt is there may be some, and I counsel with people, honestly, quite often, who struggle with the assurance of their salvation. And passages and theology, if you want to call that, or theological terms like justification can be huge, huge helps in that deep struggle. Where people sometimes like, I just don't know if I'm saved. I don't feel saved. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he came and died for my sins, right? I believe that he is the Savior, and I've, 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 in my faith, I've clung to him, but I just, this feeling kind of comes and goes. Go to passages like Romans 8.30 and say, are you justified? Are you made righteous, not in yourself, but through Christ? And if you are, you don't have to worry. Because again, it's as if he's already accomplished it. Even though it's future, he speaks about it like it's the past. And so this morning, I first just want to take this opportunity to ask anybody who's here who's never put their faith in Christ, you can have this blessing of being made righteous in him. And you say, Dan, I'm a really bad person or I've done a lot of bad things. People maybe don't even know how bad I am in my own heart. I know what I think about. I know what I say. I know what I, the things I do when no one else is around. Guess what? Jesus knows all of those things. He not only knows them, he died for them. And he lived perfectly so that that could be given to you. And so that when you put your faith in him and he becomes your savior, your Messiah, he is the one who lived for you and died for you that you can have this gift called justification. Reach out to him today. If he's speaking to you, that is a grace of God. If he's, if he's starting to show you like what this is and like, I actually believe this now. I've heard about it, but I've never actually believed it. That's God working in your life. It doesn't just happen. We don't just come to God easily by ourselves. He has to draw us in, and he does that. And so if he's working your life, don't turn away from him. Respond to him this morning. I would love to talk to you after the service if that's you, and uh, I would love to share with you uh, the gospel and how you can know that you are justified in Christ. This morning, those of us who have been justified what really is our only response? To be thankful, right? To be thankful that we can respond in love. Why? Because we have a God who we saw this morning who has first loved us by giving his son who sacrificed a lot for us. And he gave us a gift that we could never earn ourselves. We could never even get close to because we are all sinners and we fall short of God's glory and who he is. May we be thankful this morning for who Jesus is, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This Jesus is your Savior. This Jesus is the one who's called us to live differently, not because it's anything that, that we can do in ourselves, but because he said, I've given you my righteousness. Now live it out. 
right? Philippians tells us, live out our salvation, work it out, make it, make it something that people see. See Jesus in you. And so this morning, I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I know we all need to be reminded that we are declared righteous in him. Because that changes how we live, changes how we view him, it changes our worship to him, and it makes us more humble, realizing we did nothing. And when we are humble, what does God say? He, he raises us up. He, he builds us up in our humility. And we all need that each day. So this morning, we're going to pray that God would work in our lives. And I, I trust that you'd respond to him in, in the moment of prayer that we will have here. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us these words. Even though they're kind of splattered throughout your word, Lord, they're powerful. They're significant. They don't just have mental meaning, but they have real application in our lives. God, I pray that if we have become calloused to the blessing that is salvation and part of that justification, that you would pierce through our callousness, our numbness to what you have given to us. Even as the psalmist said, may you return the joy of our salvation. God, if it's because we have failed you and have not confessed that failure, that sin, I pray that we would confess that sin and be forgiven once again, all because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, if it's because we've just allowed other things to take uh, precedence in our, between our relationship with you, I pray that we would be once again convicted of that and that we would turn from those things, put them in their proper place, and put you above all because you are our supreme Savior. God, this morning, I trust that as a congregation that we would share this good news with others. Lord, we cannot keep it to ourselves, but we need you. In, in ourselves, we're scared at times what people will think, how they'll respond. But God, I pray that through your righteousness, we would have courage and we would have the purpose that is given to us through you to share with others this great gift of salvation. Lord, this morning, most importantly, we thank you. We thank, that you, thank you that your son lived and died for us, that we may be declared righteous, even though we are very unjust. We thank you for that in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.